Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Today, it's going to be back to basics on Chicago's Legal Latte. Hi, everybody. Uh, Jim Mitchell back with you for another discussion of legal topics. And while over the last few podcasts, we've uh, kind of taken a detour and dug deeper into some very specific intricacies of the law, I think today we just move up a level or two to get a comprehensive view of, I think, what might be a staple of of legal work, uh, temporary restraining orders or TROs. We'll look at uh, the need for them discuss the process of getting one executed, and and talk about uh, the process of injunctive relief along the way. Uh, Providing the details for our discussion will be Matthew Sheehan. Uh, Matthew, as a regular listener may know, is a partner at Lavelle Law Limited. He has shared his knowledge on a number of topics uh, in different areas of litigation in previous discussions, and I'm very glad to have him back. So, Matt, how have you been? It's nice to talk to you again. Doing great, Jim. Um, so let's let's dig into this. Uh, tell me about you know temporary restraining order or, or TRO. It seems to me to be a, a fairly common term, familiar I think to the average consumer of news and information, but but maybe not a full understanding of the concept behind it. Can you can you tell us what a TRO really is? Yeah, it's a it's a temporary restraining order, and it's essentially what the lawyers refer to as an equitable form of relief. Um, a legal remedy is generally viewed as monetary in, in nature. Uh, an equitable relief is something that you're asking the court to order that um, is not awarding the party money. It's essentially the court preventing a party from doing something. Um, that's usually the case. Uh, there is, uh, in some rare circumstances, a mandatory injunction where the court would actually make a party do something. But the court is much more apt to stop somebody, a party, from uh, um, performing certain acts than it is to um, force them to, to do uh, some act, but uh, in certain circumstances you can get mandatory injunctions. And, and the TRO is really the, the, the first step um, of the th- kind of three injunctive, uh, three step uh, for injunctive relief. Um, a TRO uh, in a commercial context, and that's what we're talking about. We're not. Uh, um, we would have uh, my associate Jim Dor on a podcast to talk about TROs in the criminal context, but this is more uh, in the civil uh, courts. Uh, and uh, when I usually get a TRO, for example, a very common one might be to <clears throat> an employee has left your your business and um, maybe joined a, a competitor, unbeknownst to you, but you had a written non-compete with this particular employee and and by joining this other company um in a certain area they may be violating the non-compete so you would need to go in and file a motion for TRO to stop that person from working until they uh, essentially you know make them adhere to the terms of the contract. Okay. Now who who is it that would actually issue a, a TRO? Is this just go through a, a judge that sort of deals with these issues on a regular basis? Yes, there's um two main divisions over in the court system, uh, for example, in Cook County, there is the law division, which, again, would deal with the 
uh, you can breach a contract where somebody's looking for money damages to compensate them. Um, if you file for a motion for a TRO, you're you're going to have a count in your complaint which was requesting injunctive relief, and that would be in the Chancery Division of of the courts, and and certainly all the judges that um, sit uh, on the bench in the Chancery Division are well versed in TROs. They probably deal with them on a you know weekly basis uh, in different cases. And, and, and is this a fairly common legal practice, uh, the, the request for a TRO? It is common. It's not as common as, as a complaint for money damages, uh, but certainly the Chancery Division is, is used to dealing with it. Um, you know, when you go in on a TRO, generally there's there's some ways to go for it, but uh, you have to have a verified complaint. So your uh, all the allegations in your in your complaint are essentially signed off as being truthful by your client, and uh, and then you in conjunction with the complaint, you also file the motion for TRO, which will go through and request the specific relief and what you want to restrain. And that um, you know, if I give notice to the other side, I have to serve them with the complaint and the TRO by 5 p.m. the preceding day, and I literally have a hearing the next morning uh, whenever you can get it on the judge's calendar. So these are very <clears throat> fast-paced um, uh, type of proceeding, which is much different than you know a lot of lawsuits. Uh, a typical lawsuit might take one, two, th- even over three, four years to, to wind its way through the system. This is something where you're asking the court for immediate relief because you want to stop somebody from doing something right away. Um, and so the judge would, you'd have to have uh, the verified complaint and affidavits, and the judge is going to make a decision on the briefs. So if I if I win my TRO and the judge grants it, then uh, the losing party, the defendant, can ask for two things. They can ask that I post a bond um, in order to protect them that maybe the court wrongfully issued it. So the price of a TRO generally is some sort of bond. Of course, I'll be arguing for no bond. Uh, the other side will be arguing for a bond. And uh, and then if the judge is going to require a bond, then you kind of argue about what, what the amount should be in order to protect the party. Uh, and then the second thing they're going to want uh, generally, if, if we can't come to some agreement, is uh, the losing party can ask for an evidentiary hearing, which would then move it to the second step of a preliminary injunction. And then basically you have essentially a mini trial within 10 days under the statute where live witnesses are going to testify before the judge. Obviously, if I've won the TRO, I'm trying to keep it in place uh, with live testimony. And the other side is trying to persuade the court through live witnesses that it was wrong to enter that TRO and try to uh, dissolve it and get rid of it. Now, you uh, you mentioned a couple things that I, I want to talk about uh, in just a minute here. You, in, in the process of getting a TRO, you mentioned, of course, having the affidavits uh, uh, to, to verify that uh, what you're suggesting or what you're promoting is, is you know, verified, it's truthful. What, what other sort of requirements do you have? I mean, do you have to prove or at least, you know, prove enough at that point for the immediate action that some damages are being being uh, uh, absorbed at that point by the by the person who's requesting it? Yes, you have to you have to demonstrate um basically four things in each TRO. Um you have to demonstrate to the court number 1 that you have an immediate irreparable injury. That is if this in, in the example I gave of the uh, former employee breaching the non-compete agreement uh that this person is, you know, right now harming your company because they're either um shifting customers away from you. That's probably why you had the non-compete in place or, you know, 
advising the new company of certain trade secrets that you may have had uh, that that employee had been privy to. So you got to show immediate irreparable injury that the court has to act now, or this injury is going to continue. There's also um, uh, you also have to demonstrate that there is no adequate remedy at law, that there is no money damages that could compensate uh, the plaintiff uh, enough. Uh, and of course, there's always going to be some money component to the case, but uh, stopping this person from working at your competitor in breach of the non-compete, um, it's, it's, there's probably some damages, but it's hard to calculate, and that, that's the kind of thing that the court will look at. Uh, also, you have to demonstrate, um, you don't have to win your case, per se, at that point, but you do have to demonstrate through your complaint and your affidavits to the court that you have a high likelihood of succession on the merits. So you don't have to necessarily win, but you have to convince the court that um, should this go all the way to trial, we we do all the discovery necessary in, in a typical lawsuit, that at the very, at this beginning moment, it looks like you have a, a, a likelihood of success. So it's a, it's a little less standard than actually succeeding, but you have to demonstrate to the court that, that you probably will win. Yeah, with me on today's podcast is Attorney Matthew Sheehan. Uh, Matthew is a, a partner at Lavelle Law Limited. We're discussing the scope and utilization of temporary restraining orders. Um, and in addition to his contributions here, um, uh, Matt also just completed shooting a new video covering shareholder disputes. That's going to be debuting on LavelleLaw.com in the coming days, part of a, a new series of videos that uh, provide brief overviews on important topics. Uh, LavelleLaw.com is uh, where you'll find that and dozens of recent articles uh, posted by the partners and attorneys, information on practice groups, um, profiles of the attorneys, a lot of things happening there, a a great resource for anyone with uh, interest in in topics like this. Um, As we talk about this topic, uh, we've sort of identified that the T in TRO is is temporary. If one is granted, does it uh, have a sort of a expiration date, and is there a process that follows after that? Yeah, they're generally, as the title would suggest temporary in nature and and that's what I'm talking about is within 10 days they 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 essentially expire by statute uh, but the court can extend that uh, upon motion or the parties can agree I've had uh, at least 3 uh, TROs that I've obtained uh in court where uh the parties actually worked out the terms of the preliminary injunction without having to go to an evidentiary hearing obviously if you prevail at the TRO um, sometimes the other side realizes that they may not uh, want to go through an evidentiary hearing and the cost and expense of that if they don't feel like they're going to be able to win. And so sometimes we negotiate uh, the terms of a preliminary injunction. Otherwise, you go to the hearing and you have the witnesses uh, live before the judge so the judge can determine their credibility. And if you win at that stage, that injunction will stay in place for the remainder of the lawsuit because typically, in addition to the injunctive relief count, which the TRO and preliminary injunction will address, there may be uh, second, third, fourth counts looking for money damages, uh, and and those will continue. And the preliminary injunction is, is meant to maintain the status quo as the lawsuit uh, winds its way through uh, the discovery process and ultimately the trial. And if we look at it from the flip side, um, should you request uh, an order and have that request denied, uh, is there usually a reason given? Can you come back and, and you know make an amended request, or is that the end of the effort? Well, then you, if you, if the TRO is denied, then uh, the plaintiff uh, and plaintiff's attorney have to make a decision. Do they want the evidentiary hearing to try to uh, convince the court uh, that uh, the, the denial was uh, in error and that the court should actually grant it? So uh, that's the, the the kind of the 
flip side of it, if you don't win, then do you want to go forward to an evidentiary hearing? You have the right to, to that evidentiary hearing. You certainly can get it, and the court will, by rule, give it to you. Um, but depending on how the court ruled, you may determine that it's not going to be a, a, mm-hmm. a slam-dunk winner. Uh, or uh, the, maybe the court didn't have enough information uh, or uh, enough witness testimony to corroborate some of the positions you have, and, and uh, some live testimony might ha- help you do that. And so uh, uh, I certainly have uh, had a TRO denied and, and then went through a preliminary injunction hearing, and, and the court re- essentially reversed itself after getting all more information from live witnesses and eventually did grant the preliminary injunction. And, and just a, a minute or two left here. You've, you've mentioned preliminary injunctions a couple of times. You gave us a, a quick recap earlier, and you also mentioned permanent injunction. Um, kind of give us an overview again of, of the differences between the two and, and how they're used. Okay, well, the TRO is that first step uh, that you would get and expires after 10 days, and then the preliminary injunction would issue either by agreement or um, you know, through an evidentiary hearing where the court grants a preliminary injunction, then that ju- inju- preliminary injunction would stay in place generally throughout the term of the lawsuit. Unless, of course, the non-compete agreement by by its very terms expires in six months. Of course, once the uh, contract uh, obligation expires, then that TRO or preliminary injunction would dissolve by by the way the contract was written. Uh, but if it's something different than that where there's not a set time period, uh, it would stay in place. And at the end, if it's something you want to stay in place for for after the case is finalized, you would seek a permanent injunction at trial. So it's just that kind of three steps, first the TRO, then the preliminary injunction, which would stay in place during the pendency of the, of the lawsuit. And a permanent injunction is something you would ask for at trial that would survive the actual trial verdict. Well, it, uh, as, uh, as I always expect when we have uh, Matt Sheehan with us, that gives us a chance uh, to get a, a very good look at, uh, at a uh, rather important legal topic. And I want to thank Matt for being with us today. I always appreciate his time, and I thought we got a, a great recap there. So many thanks to, to Matt Sheehan for being here with us today. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, LavelleLaw.com is a site you might want to stop by to visit, get some updates on uh, a number of different topics. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking for more detailed information, you can always call the folks at Lavelle Law, 847-705-7555. Um, and in all cases, you will speak to an attorney on your first call. And in most cases, you're going to get the uh, initial consultation up front at no charge. Uh, just kind of look at what your specific needs are. Uh, as always, Chicago's Legal Latte provides brief recaps of important topics as well. So I hope you'll uh, continue to find us here on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, you can also download from iTunes, uh, whether it's uh, on a regular weekly basis or go through the archives at your convenience as time permits. We look forward to talking with you again very soon. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. 